right. Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis. And I'm Jason Maletsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow, and to contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Oh, yeah. The entire journey. (laughs) Oh, that's fun. If you want to find us on the wider internet family, go to trustthejourney.today. That's our website. It's our Instagram. Go ahead, like, comment, share, subscribe. Give us five stars if you think we're doing a good job and you feel inspired. That helps the show reach more people. And that is our goal for sure. If you would like to join the Trust the Journey family or just support the show uh, financially, you can do that through Patreon. So go to the website, trustthejourney.today, scroll down and just the button's there. Donate on Patreon at, at any amount. And we really, truly appreciate that. Of course, it makes the show possible and it gets you into the private Facebook group for the Trust the Journey family where we open the dialogue a little bit more and support each other and all of those good things. If you want to join us there as well, you are welcome. And we'd also like to thank our editor, Kimberly Joy Voice, for managing the editing of our show, as well as all the postings. She's just fabulous. And if you could use any podcast editing services, she's available. And you can reach out Kimberly Joy Voice at gmail.com. She'd be happy to help you. She is indeed fabulous. And so is so much other stuff. Jay and I also have our own individual channels. So if you want to follow Jay on Instagram, he's Jason underscore Maledsky. And for me, I'm MelanieCurtis.com. All my socials and all the ways to contact me are there. So yeah, so let's dive into today's conversation. We're putting a broader topic on the table and we're going to dive into decision making what that maybe means to us, some experiences we've had with it, what's worked for us, maybe what hasn't, just see where the conversation goes and see what value we can impart from our experience on this particular skill set and subject matter. It's, as far as a topic, it's one of the most pivotal, you know, like day to day every every fork in our road of life you know if we're talking about the whole trust the journey mentality the concept of how and when and why and the motives behind our decision making is i mean this is as vast as the universe in itself right like absolutely the the real question is why Mm. yeah oh yeah totally i mean there's so many different places we could go with this as a topic. It's it's almost like, where do we start? The reason I thought of this as a subject to bring up, because, you know, we're sure necessarily what we wanted to talk about. And the experience that I'm having recently of participating in the world record selection camps, the vertical world record. So we're flying upside down. 180 miles an hour with a hundred plus other people. And it's an intense environment. It's a skill set that I have. I'm not necessarily, I'm not the best flyer in the world, but I can be on these jumps and not 
endanger people or myself. So that's good. I mean, certainly we all can make mistakes and that sucks. And but we learn and we grow and we're in this process of of determining who the best team and I say we, but I'm just, I'm not one of the selection people. I'm like a part of the bigger team, but you're determining, the organizers are determining who are going to be the best members for this 200 way team for the world record. That's the co-ed record. And it's badass. Yeah. It's super badass. And listen, I've been in skydiving a long time. I've done this for a long time. I, had no intention whatsoever to do this 200 way. <laughs> so there's, there's some insight into decision making right there. But there was an interesting, unique opportunity this year, where the women's vertical world record is happening in November. And at first in this process, I wasn't sure if I even wanted to do that because fuck the last time I did this kind of flying was in a big way was 2013 you know so it's been a long time for me to be on a big way vertical head down record uh, skydive and in, in, in that experience and I ha I've never really been that interested in doing bigger way skydives. So it's not been a, like we talk about motivation and what causes us to drive our choices and drive our decisions. I just never was that motivated. I've never been that motivated to do big ways. I totally love the record stuff and I think it's amazing and I love cheering on my friends, but I never felt called that deeply to be a part of those bigger groups. The reason this year was unique was because of the women's record connected to the mission of elevating women's rights, elevating equality, using skydiving as a vehicle to champion activism around women's rights and equality and around equality at large and allyship and all this stuff that motivated me to decide I'm going to at least try and see what amount of my skills are still in my body. Do how will I feel when I start to re-engage this skill set and doing these types of skydives? What will it feel like to have this stuff on my calendar? What will it feel like leading up to going to these events? Will I be dreading it? Will I be terrified? Will I be excited? Will I be what what will I feel? I did I didn't know. And so this is sort of a long-winded share, but it's important to share because it wasn't a decision I could just make. I couldn't just say, yes, I'm doing the world record or, or yes, I'm doing project 19, the women's vertical world record, or no, I'm not doing it. I had, there were so many other steps that I had to take in order to get to the clarity I needed to say yes or no to both or either or one or the other. So tell me more. What I mean, what are the, what, how do the steps it influence your bigger picture decision? Like what's, is there a, a, a bunch of like precursors that have to be met in order to hit a tipping point in the big decision making? Yeah, I love it. I really just wanted to take a breath so that you could actually speak. <laughs> 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 so there was a decision there. Um, but yeah, it, because it's not something that I could easily clearly decide because 
I was afraid, you know, I'm like, these are, this is a no joke environment. And I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I don't know if I want to be, for me, it was more about when I say yes to doing an event that it includes these kinds of jumps at this stage, this is earlier in the stage of my getting current recurrent doing this style of flying. I was scared. And so I would feel fear for days and and or weeks before going to these events. And that is a serious energetic and emotional cost. And I have a lot of other things that I do have full clarity that I want to do and want to spend my time and energy on. And so I was experiencing the cost of that fear, of that energy, of that travel, of saying yes to exploring this choice. Now, why I still did it was because I I could feel and I checked in with myself. I was like, if I don't try to see if I would want to, if I got current and through this initial resistance, I could feel that I would wonder if I left something on the table. I feel like Mm -hmm. I would be like, oh, it's such a purposeful thing. And there's so much positive potential in this effort that I want to at least try. It doesn't mean I have to do it, but I have to get to full clarity that I'm a no if I'm going to say no. You know what I mean? And I'm going to get to full clarity to say yes, if I'm going to say yes. So I worked through those initial experiences, that initial feeling of dread and then an initial fear. And I, I decided to also talk with the organizers who are happen to be some of my teammates on highlight and are good, good friends of mine and share with them, you know, in order to even start to try to do this, I kind of need this kind of slot just so that I'm not terrified and I'm not totally fucking up and just help me even get to the place where maybe I could do some of the other spots and see what kind of versatility I would have as a member of the world record team. So very long story short, I got to the place where I reconnected to my zone of confidence in the experience that I've had in the past. So the biggest jump I've ever done before this was 63 in 2013, like I said. And so I have experience, quite a bit of experience being relatively close to the center of a 100 way, right? So I know what it's like to be in a center 30 quite a bit. So having that experience, like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. I remember this. So my confidence was renewed. I was also doing the flying skills and I was make I was doing it. So I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, my body knows how to do this. Oh, OK, cool. I can be safe reaffirming that I'm safe, that, of course, the organizers are doing their job to keep us safe. Oh, this is what this looks like. Yup, this is what this feels like. So reminding myself and my body what I already know. Now, fast forward. So that so that experience clarified to me, if I'm going to be in that center 30, which is what the plan is as of now, unless that changes, I feel totally confident and comfortable to say yes to doing the women's vertical world record. So that's exciting. It's a clarity piece. 
Fast forward to last weekend when I did the 115 ways, which is the selection camp for the 200 way. It was more a, a it was a continued exploration with my boundary on my decision being I would do the 200 way if I can if I feel like I can do it with confidence and calm, right? That I feel like I'm going to be confident and calm doing it as much as one can be doing a record (laughs) Uh, and do it and be a contribution to the team. So, so I did this last uh, weekend and I did well when I was closer to the center, again, my zone of confidence, but then I got to have experiences where I was in the like trail trail planes being like really far out on the edge and having a really long way to go to even get close to the center. I've never done that. And it was scary. Like I was totally scared. I definitely fucked it up multiple times, which is totally normal. There's no problem with that in the sense that it was still safe. But yeah, it also showed me I cannot participate in the 200 way with confidence and calm and feel like I'm going to be a guaranteed contribution because I don't have time nor desire to train those things that I don't already know. So that is kind of where I'm at. So I've decided not to do the 200 way and to do the 100 way women's record. So that's, that's my story. And the bigger picture decision in there, you're weighing in your impact on the people around you, as well as your own experiential um, relativity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and again, it's not something I could know until I put myself in that situation, which can be scary, too. Like I had to risk looking like I suck in front of one hundred and twenty five people that I know. You know, like there's not there's yeah, something that to happens. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why I say that as an acknowledgement to people who are willing to do it. And I also say it in support of people who are really stuck on the outcome. Right. So like scaling back that engagement and going, this is part of my decision making process of am I right for this right now or not? So you used the word fear a few times. Fear is an incredibly powerful motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to dive into that a little bit more. And is it all fear? And if so, do you know specifically what the fears are? And then or and or is that anxiety also a part of it? How do you distinguish fear and anxiety? Just because I know there's people look at that differently. Well, I think a fear can be related to a specific risk, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, like, um, you know, there's a variable that says like, this is a measurable constant, you know, something I can equate from yep. where anxiety is just a general. Oh, general like tone dis-ease. of. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I just don't feel comfortable. <laughs> right, 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 um, right. Stressed. It's a stress, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in this specific instance, the fear on the 200 way, which is, again, the reason I bring this up in it as an example is it's it's 
I will not be a person who is in that center, right? So there's no way I'm selected as someone who's in that core 30. So I know I'm not going to be in my zone of confidence. So I know that I would have to be, if I were going to do that jump, I would be in this zone where I don't have experience, right? And so part of what I learned on the jumps that I did was that I I don't know if I can guarantee that I'm not going to be a danger to my friends, And I'm like, I'm absolutely unwilling to do that. And I don't have the time nor desire to train. I know I could learn it. I know I could learn it. There's no part of me that thinks I'm incapable of of what I'm talking about. I know I could be on the 200 way if given time and desire. But if I'm really honest with myself and I check in, I don't want to do it. And, And that's okay. And that's totally okay. But the fear, if I talk about an acute fear, one of them is is being in that zone where I'm inexperienced and then having large closing distances and large closing speeds that I don't trust myself to know how to control. You said want to. There, so that that's a, the driving force, right? Like the desire itself behind the decision making. So let's just kind of pull back into the bigger yeah. scope a little bit and say the the wanting something or not wanting something. What's the actual root of that decision? The wanting and the not wanting. Yeah, I mean, if. Okay, so, you know, opportunities present themselves, right? Or ideas occur, things, you know, suddenly arrive in our sphere of existence and our consciousness and suddenly have, you know, we're like, I want to do this. We're we're motivated. What's the the motivator behind it? Or something else appears and, you know, we have an opportunity presented to us and we don't want anything to do with it. (laughs) You know, like the, the very clear differentiation between the want to and don't want to. Sometimes they're really black and white and other times they're kind of gray. Yeah. It's somewhere in the middle where we just kind of don't know. And it sounds like that's what I heard from you is that you were presented an opportunity. You're curious Mm -hmm. about it and you would like to do it if you could do it in a way that allowed you to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But as you explore, you're finding that you're probably not going to be in your comfort zone. So it's not enough value for you to like fake it to make it or do the training or like invest the time or anything because the true you know what you're getting back out of it just isn't what your priorities are right now correct yeah and don't get me wrong i'm not gonna be super comfortable doing the women's world record so it's not it's not like that's gonna be like just cake it's more that it's there's nuance. What I'm trying to highlight is there are there's nuance to the decision making process and looking at those little those little things like I have a clear understanding of how I want to spend my time and energy like I could I could say yes and make this my focus and do it. And I could go to all the camps and I could get there 100 percent. Right. I mean, not 100 percent. There's always a chance I wouldn't get no, there. But there, for it's, the it's most 100%. part, if you decided you'd be you'd be there. right. Like if you decide yeah. you go and you go for it. Exactly. But I have, like you said, competing other priorities like I love that I am working on becoming a better keynote speaker. That is definitely outside of my comfort zone, but in a different way. Right. And I 
still feel that as as even though there's an end that I'm working toward, it's the decision to spend my time and energy there in that discomfort is more aligned with where I want to go in my life and contribution in the world, right? Because I love the idea of being a part of the 200 way team. The teamwork is amazing yeah. and beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's so wonderful. So I, I figured that'd probably be your biggest draw. Actually, yeah, is yeah. wanting to be with that many people focused on a singular goal together. Totally team minded. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing that in my maturity, like in my experience, I know that I can still be a teammate to that, that goal and that mission without serving that specific function, right? Like I'm a writer. I've already written like a couple amazing posts that are really supportive to other people that are currently on this journey that will be on that record. And I love that I can be a contribution like that. So that's me still putting energy toward that team, being a teammate, but in a different way than maybe people would perceive how they would want to be a teammate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, each of us comes to it with our own motivations, right? Of yeah. what the the true value is and what we really want to achieve from the experience, what yep. we want the experience to how we want it to feed us. Yeah. I want to hear more about you. Cause I mean, I could talk, I could talk, I could literally talk about this the entire episode. There's so much richness in that one ex example. Like there's so much richness in that example. So we can certainly go back to it. I'm happy to talk more about it, but I want to hear more about you. Like when this topic was posed, what came up for you? Yeah, actually, you know, I let the idea kind of just stew a little bit. And the big thing that comes to my mind is my tendency to make decisions is usually it's um, polarized in the sense that there'll be some logic path that I'll weigh and measure the variables involved and be like, okay, you know, these are the components and can I afford it? It doesn't make sense. And do I have the time and do I really want to and yeah. all this stuff. But then in the end, even if some of those things are absolute no's where the decision doesn't look like a good decision, if my gut tells me to do it, then I'll do it. Mm -hmm. So, I reflect back on a couple things. One of them is my decision to become a pro canopy pilot because that was a decision mm. to say I'm going to pivot my whole life around this idea of pursuing a career in a niche where there's no career yeah. yet. Yeah. You know? And so that was one of these ones where I'm like, I'm hedging my bets on the future that I see occurring and also knowing that it's a ridiculously terrible bet, <laughs> you know, like the, the idea of like, okay, I'm going to put all my time and money and energy into this is kind of ridiculous. It's like, that's a, okay, good luck with that. You know, like, uh, your odds are like a uh, hundred to one against you, you know? And at the same time, there's a part inside of myself that knows exactly what I have to do, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that one, just because it was such a pivotal moment in my life, as far as really just going down what appears to be the wrong path, yeah. you know, like it appears the unknown. There's a lot of, a lot of unknowns, a lot of known unknowns, a lot of unknown unknowns, and just still going, nope. 
this is it. This is the decision. And so I'm more weighing the kind of philosophical viewpoints of when a decision is driven by a gut call or when a decision is driven by more of an evaluative process. Yeah. So let me let me reflect a little bit on um, flight one, because I've been with a PD factory team and flight one versions of that group for two decades now. Mm -hmm. And we will go through an entire day of process where, you know, whiteboarding things out, calendaring them out, budgeting spreadsheets, like building through an entire whatever logic process you can imagine. And at the end of it, we'll just kind of put a period on the end of that paragraph and then we'll go, what's everybody's gut say? Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes we'll annex an idea that looks like a great idea on paper just because it doesn't feel like the right call. So this is really where I anchor to when it comes to decision-making because especially with like, like a life of a life of skydiving and base jumping, all right. Base jumping specifically that like, Ooh, do I want to jump off this mountain or not? This is mm-hmm. big decisions every time it's taken your life in your hands every time. And it's not always clear, you know, sometimes it's crystal clear and you're like, hells yeah. Like I'm totally doing this. This is going to go, this is perfect. Everything is a yes, 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 yes. On every box. And other times it's straight nose. Yeah. And then even when there's a certain variables that don't line up, sometimes this decision still flip the other way. And I think that's what I'm most interested in is that, that gray zone, because we can all understand the clear yeses and the clear noes very easily. Yeah. It's more about when things are in the middle. And then we got to like, look at our motivations and say, why, why do I need to do this? Or, you know, what's the real value that I'm going to, get back out of it. Well, yeah. And are there steps that I need to take to further inform myself that then will help me have more clarity, which is entirely what I was basically yeah. just describing about the big ways is that yeah. I didn't have clarity. I didn't have a guaranteed. Yes, this is a yes. And I didn't have a guaranteed clear. This is a no. I was like, I'm not sure. But I, what I am sure of is if I don't take additional steps to try to inform myself into more clarity, then I would potentially regret that choice. And so I wanted to move forward with those clarifying steps. You know what I mean? And it's interesting, I think, too, around the expectation of outcome and stuff like that, of what we think an experience will be like. We think, okay, it's going to be this. Or this is going to be my experience. And again, I can continue to use this this big way example for from other people's perspective. They get on the jumps and maybe they're expecting to do better than they do. And they just and they flail and they get, have the same feelings and the same thoughts that I have. But instead of me going, fuck, yeah, I got some clarity and I'm like really stoked about that. They're going, oh, my God. Whoa, I don't even think I belong here. You know what I mean? I what I'm, I'm so stupid for thinking I could even do this or whatever, wherever their brain might go. Right. And then that's this, this rough experience that emotionally is painful. Yes. But it still begs the question of what's the next part of your decision-making? How committed are you to this end? 
is does this mean you re-up and you then continue to go to these camps to get your confidence to the place where it needs to be and your skills to the place where it needs they need to be? Or does this mean, you know, so there is that those incremental steps in bigger experiences where we have to continue to assess what is our decision now? How does it connect to my bigger commitment? Is my commitment still still holding? Or am I deciding away from something else after I do a gut check? Don't know. That gut check, though, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I really feel like that's kind of the pivot thing where there's a difference between the mind and the body. You know, our minds will evaluate, measure, process, you know, calculate, and then our gut doesn't do that. Our gut just feels. Our gut knows. It's very interesting. And the more we practice feeling what that feels like, the more we can use it expertly, masterfully in these situations that are gray. Because again, it doesn't necessarily that, oh, we're going to do a gut check. So we're going to suddenly mystically fucking know what to do. It might just mean we know what to do next, not to do in a maybe bigger picture sense. You're making me think of um, a lot of the time that I've spent in nature um, when I don't really like I'm not following a path or I've, you know, kind of meandering through the woods on some trails and you get to a fork, you know, and yeah, you've got maps and yeah, compasses and, well, you know, the tool sets and the knowledge and everything. But there's still an element that's like this way or that way, you know, Do I go this way or that way. And I think that from at least from my own personal life experience i've been studying the concept of um whether or not we actually make all of our own decisions mm, nice right how much of it is um conscious decision making how much of it is a path that's mm. just already laid out for us oh interesting yeah so a lot of this stuff happens subconsciously where we we just go about our lives and you know we make a call and we don't even think about it and that's the concept of free will, right? Like when, when those paths are there for us, is it really our own, are we the ones making the decision or is it already charted? And I think there's both. I think based on observing that everything is polarized, that there has to be both. There has to be an element of this is kind of your life destiny tree, right? Like mm. it's going to go one of these ways mm. and within that, you know, potentials it can go you know down different roads based on our ability to touch base with source mm-hmm. like that gut gut instinct or the mm-hmm. soul you know our knowing our inner knowing about how what decision to make and yeah yeah that kind of just leaves me in that like pondering space of that's um you know, true meditation for me is that ponder yeah. like that kind of when all of a sudden the door opens and you're just kind of looking at a conscious realm where now we can, you know, we could explore whatever ideas and yeah. It's good to get comfortable with that space 
because I think in general, human beings, because we are meaning making machines, our brain wants to know and wants to understand the cumulus cloud looks like this thing, right? Like there's, it's constantly making meaning our brains and that can really get in the way of the connecting to source. It can really, really get in the way. And so that I feel like when you talk about meditation, if we talk about what useful things, skills, ideas that we can impart to the audience to take forward when they are looking at their own decision making process or skill set or whatever, what might serve them, what they might now look at and reflect on and go, oh, wow, that is me. I constantly need to know. Oh, I'm (coughs) constantly planning. Oh, and it's not again, not that these things are bad per se, right? It's good to have clarity. I was just talking about that clarity, wanting to know, wanting to have that clarity. There's power there. It's that when we only have that and feel that that is our only way to make decisions, we miss the incredibly critical and powerful piece of that connecting to the inner knowing. So that requires us to practice. It requires us to sit in the discomfort of the unknown and to breathe and to connect with our body and to really reflect and go, what is it that I'm feeling? What is it that I'm experiencing? What thoughts are arising? you know, and, and have that experience with that openness. I love that. You made me start thinking about, um, a motivator, which is really, really powerful one. And it is based in fear, but it is the effect of say the negative effect against our decision-making, which is fear of being wrong Mm. or being, you know, doing something incorrectly, making the wrong decision. So there's decision paralysis and then there's totally, and there's also just saying no because of the pure risk of being wrong and not succeeding as the result of the decision. And this topic as a whole, after a lifetime of coaching people, you see, I mean, I see it every single day. People are on the fence about a decision because they're worried about the outcome. And one of the things that I've learned and I have to express gratitude for is embracing the idea of being wrong as a positive outcome to a decision. Yep. Right. Love it. That yeah. frees the decision making process. It frees us from that analysis paralysis for sure. Yeah. So I, I think I got this from training, um, you know, years and years and years of getting up and doing repetitions of the same thing all the time and get, try to get better and better at it. And you, you know, I mean, you're char- uncharted waters a lot of the time trying to, you know, find uh, plot the best route forward in in a place where there isn't necessarily a map or a guidebook or you know and so that sounds like life right <laughs> so yeah right you're just you know you're like okay well i'm gonna try and f- be better at this and what that means is and this is what i try to tell my students i, I just ran a course last weekend and i had a great class of students who are excellent And I always like to start off the day by saying, look, we're here to make mistakes. 
what's going to happen throughout the first part of this experience is our performances are going to go downhill and we're going to degrade and we're not actually going to do as well as we might normally do at something because we're in an unknown space and we're trying new things and the end result of you know trying something deciding i'm going to go for it and give it a whirl whatever it is is it inevitably it's not going to go as planned it's going to go some other way so you can literally plan that it is going to go not as planned and accept that <laughs> right. the outcome is going to include variations on your expected performance. And I think this is a real maturity thing within our own selves. And when we grow to a certain point where we say the attachment to outcome can go away if my outcome includes a balance of positive and negative versions i could be and this is when i say about training i could go pick one goal okay like i have one specific thing i want to work on improving today and i'll spend the entire day working on that one thing i'll do 10 or 12 jumps i might spend the entire day at a computer whatever like you spend the whole day working on it and you make no progress or you go backwards <laughs> right right you right. go backwards you, you're, you're like okay now i know now i'm, I'm le- more confused <laughs> about where I was before I started because you you know you've gone down this potential growth path and you haven't necessarily found any way to go it's just well that's uh, the that's the whole we when we think it needs to be up and to the right that's what it looked that's life up and to the right (laughs) yeah and this is the this is not true though right the truth is that we if we are honest with ourselves we can say that 99% of the time we're going to get errors or things are not going to go as planned to the point where it is the vast majority of the time oh yeah right oh yeah almost and so I'll, I'll speak as a performer for a second how many times have I practiced a musical piece And I get it just honed to where it's like absolute perfection in the studio and then go to perform it live. And there's a little hiccup glitch, some little variation. And like, I can tell you for a fact that it never 100% of the time never goes the way that you plan it to go. Yeah. A lot of the times it will go in some universally destined way where there's like something that's like, Oh, there's the imperfection, you know, like <laughs> the imperfection has to be there. So yeah, I love, I love embracing that embracing the erroneous. Yeah. Or embra- be, you know, I'm here to be wrong. I'm here to make mistakes. Totally. This is so freeing to our, our learning and growth process. Oh God. I was like, Oh, you know, everything everything's imperfect or you're going to make mistakes. I feel like the first thing I thought of was just like love relationships. You know, like it's so funny because how you're, you're iterating, you meet, you know, unless the, the person who's been married from the, to their high school sweetheart for the whole life and all that. But even then, I imagine there's dynamic issues and there's things that you were working on inside of that partnership. But for those people that are like dating and are, you know, dating different people and, and iterating with different relationships with different actual human beings, it's a comical thing when you're saddled with this idea that that's not okay when that's not normal, like that's totally normal. Like, of course, it would just be like anything else where we would have to 
grow and learn and make mistakes in that process. And it's so funny because it does go back to this idea of being okay with the discomfort. Just absolutely accepting that you will run into discomfort. I'm not just saying in relationships, but in any part of this process, even your coaching students, you know, where they have to be okay with the discomfort they will feel when they actually meet the moment when they suck worse. Yeah. Right? Like that is so important to really get okay with that part of the process because I love that you brought this up around decision making Jay because it's I think it is one of the great tragedies in humanity where when people feel immobilized by that fear to to try and it's just like in Joelle's episode of her conscious connections episode more recently how she talked about experience as a teacher experience as a gift and a guide but if we're stuck and immobilized because we can't make a decision because we're afraid of the discomfort we're afraid of fucking up or we're afraid of proving to ourselves that it's never going to happen or we're this or we're that that's like a real tragedy. So I love that we're talking about this relative to decision making to help people start to reframe and go the experience itself is the value. So there's another part of decision making that I think is a worthy component to mention, and that is predestining ourselves when we set ourselves up for failure. So nice the lack like we go into something half-heartedly or without full confidence or without the even putting the potential on the table that it could go the way that we're we're hoping or wanting or told that it could go mm-hmm. but we go into it with like a set um the the decision is already made that's not going to work right Right. Mm-hmm. I see this. I mean, we've all been through it. We all we've all done it so many times to ourselves. And as a coach, I see it all the time where somebody says, OK, well, I'm going to go do it. And they have no confidence that, is, <laughs> right. that they, of the of the ways that it could go correctly or the desired outcome is not even on the list of potential ways that it, it might go because there's no. It's it's a I don't know if it's confidence or faith like, what's the word that really sums up that element that expresses our belief that the, that potential could be the outcome? You know, yeah. and your relationship thing brought it up because yeah. I'm like, oh, that girl? No way. Mm-hmm. She she would never go out with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what? What? Where does that come from? There's mm-hmm. some like precursor in our evaluation process that denies ourselves the potential to even achieve what we're looking to achieve or to succeed or to live or experience or whatever because we already decide yeah usually subconsciously that we don't believe in ourselves yes huge yeah. it is a self-protective emotion it's a self-protective defense mechanism around the emotional pain we would feel if we experience the thing that is we are deeply afraid of again Right. Because like the the idea of experiencing the thing we are deeply afraid of, it's theoretically if we aren't aware that we're working on that 
right? That we are trying to heal that, right? That that's not reality, but something deep inside us tells us it is, and it's very painful, right? Every time we get evidence of that, it's very, very scary. So until we pull that stuff out of our insides and into the light to look at and go, oh, I see why I would feel this way and think this. And I'm, I know that's kind of false and, and it's a false reality that I don't need to put into my future. But until we, we pull it out and look at it in the light, it's in there. And that's when people usually put these defense mechanisms in place. So, I mean, I feel like a lot of that kind of patterned behavior is programmed into us as children, mm-hmm. where at some point in our lives, we're given some positive or negative reinforcement towards the idea of how things are likely to go for us, you know, and, and somebody that's key in our growth kind of puts the, you know, they put the the line on the table and they say, this is the way that it's going, you know, and this is the way it goes for you. Yeah. And, and we believe it, you know, we have to really work on ourselves a lot to get out of those things and say, no, maybe it can go that way. It's hard to do that. It's that's part of the work for sure. Part of the work, part of the healing, part of the, uh, I think practice of becoming a decision maker that has the ability to access because like otherwise, if we say we decide in a direction towards something that we don't feel is possible, then, okay, fine, we're manifesting the sort of quote unquote negative outcome. And then we are proven right because we are resting in this idea that it is not possible. Cool. Great. You're right. Awesome. Proved myself right again. Yeah. Yeah. Proved myself <laughs> so I feel like right I have again. Control. Yeah. I have control because I proved myself right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that I, I bet everyone Safety. listening has experienced that where they, Okay, they're like, all right. And like you said, they go in that direction. They decide in that direction. They're like, hey, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. But deep down, they aren't connected to that possibility being actually available to them because of whatever is in the way. So those those experiences that we have when we decide toward a direction, but we kind of know if we're really honest with ourselves that we're blocking it, we want to we want to come back and look and go, what's actually why am I blocked in this direction? And I could think of, talk about this in terms of entrepreneurship, for example. I was just on this amazing expert session uh, with uh, my consulting group and how we were talking about just varying ways to decide and determine your pricing. And there are some people that literally charge $250,000 a year to work with them as a consultant, you know, and that's probably a price that would elicit some discomfort in people. If you were to say I cost $250,000 a year. Silence, no justification, no talking about why. And, you know, like there, there's an interesting experience around that, usually because there is internal stuff to work out about either money and our relationship to it or our awareness and our relationship to our own value and the value we bring to the people that we work with. So like those, there's a lot there too, in that simple lane. But anyway, all that said is going to the part 
where we then do believe in the possibility. We've done that work and we go, I can step into rates that reflect where I actually energetically sit in my work now. Cool. I can step into love relationship in a, in a way where I believe in, in love and I believe in the possibilities that I was afraid to believe in before because X, Y, Z, A, B, C healed, yo, 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 whatever. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, but you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Oh. I recently made a decision yeah. in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I woke up in the middle of the night and I picked up my phone and I sent a message. Ooh, I love it. And it was a, it felt somewhat impulsive, you know, like mm-hmm. I hadn't put a lot of forethought to it, although it, the, you know, if I truly look back at the greater scope of it, there's a lot of planning and preparation in place. So it's not it's not a, a surprise decision. It's a very expected decision. Cool. But I hadn't necessarily had it on my plans, you know, but I just had this feeling like, what do I need? Mm-hmm. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I sent my friend Stein a message and said, hey, how about I come work for you for a little bit and spend some time hanging out over here in Norway with you? Cool. You know, and he gave sent me a message back. He's like, let me go talk to the guys and I'll, I'll get back to you. See what they say. You know, and um, at the same time, while I'm waiting for his response, I go and I look on um, the website for flights. You know, I'm like, oh, can I afford this? Is this realistic? Is it practical? I'm in a place in my life where I have enough time or space. Mm-hmm. Can I prioritize this? But I mean, it's that middle of the night, like I woke up knowing like, give, give him a call, you know, like just knowing that I should just give him a call. And I open up the f- window for my dates of travel and I type in all the variables and they have the whole calendar. It's a big box. Yeah. And there's one flight right in the middle. The rest of like all 25 other five flights are now non-available. There's one oh. in the middle. That goes from my local airport directly to the local airport, which I want to go to, which is rare. Uh-huh. And it's an air miles flight for like 45,000. Oh, my God. Air miles, which is, which what is you usually, which is like the lowest yeah. that you're going to spend. Super like, low. Thir- super, super low, right? You could easily buy like the same flight would usually be 150,000, 200,000 air miles kind of thing. So 45,000 air miles. It's the only one on the whole calendar. It, le- it puts me there exactly when I need to be there. And I only have to pay like nineteen dollars for the <laughs> ticket for an international ticket. So I got this like you know the universe kind of reinforcing that the synchronicities for me is a huge thing when when alignments appear. You know I'm like oh let me just check and see if there's any flights and there's like one glaring uh, one glaring box right in the middle. It's like you know some air miles that you got on your credit card last year that you never spent because didn't travel and twenty bucks and wow. you're there. Wow. Yeah, and typically like fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars to get there. Yeah. Kind of thing. So it's a you know not a casual spend. So when those reinforcements, those reminders, those consistencies or alignments occur for me, that really helps me to feel confidence in the decision making. And just as I was saying that, I looked up at our clock and it had it said five, 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 five. <laughs> so number sequences or number sequences are one of my other favorite ways that I find that like some peace with yeah. the decision making. 
and, and knowing that if I'm not worried about being wrong and there are like, there are no wrong decisions, right? We're both believers in it's all just lessons, right? Yeah. There's going to be lessons like, it'll this is a good outcome. This is a less than good outcome, but I don't even say bad. It's just another outcome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's all for us. Yeah. So it's nice when the, uh, the pieces come along that give us that little pat on the back. Yeah. And I think you're pointing to another version of decision making, which I think is worthy to talk about, is that sort of reckless choice. And it's not that you are describing that because obviously you said you've been thinking about it. There's some intuitive connection to what you did. But I certainly have plenty of experiences in my past where I make a reckless choice. And I also see it in my day to day around like food choices where we've talked about that, where I just make reckless choices about what I consume, you know, like what the fuck? I know, I know better, you know? And so I'm, I'm, I've said this on the podcast before. I'm still working on this. I'm not, I'm not there yet with my consumption. You know, I'm not so bad, but I'm also not necessarily super dialed in. I don't feel in vast control of those decisions. Um, but they're they're in the re- some of them are in the realm of reckless when it's like driven by stress or this or that. And that's, I think, a key component that goes into reckless decision making, however big or small, whether it's a food choice or whether it's a I'm going to. I don't know, go to this place or hook up with this person or whatever, whatever. Reckless choices tend to include an element of stress that we are trying to escape some version of stress or fear or emotional discomfort that we are trying to escape that we haven't been able to figure out. And therefore we're thinking or we're doing this other thing as either a distraction or a way to run away from that discomfort, a, a thing that we think will immediately solve it when really we haven't done the work. Those are elements that go into reckless decision making that we should watch for because sometimes the reckless decision helps us but a lot of times it makes things worse so i was actually just scratching down the words emotional need like we usually have some emotional deficit somewhere that leads to those kind of knee-jerk decisions that are in the moment and i mean just looking back at previous points in my life where alcohol was part of my life the god what a influencer as far as decision making is and being in an altered state right Mm -hmm. and certain um you know certain substances are going to lean us either way alcohol specifically leans us towards impulsive potentially self-destructive like feeding a very particular part of ourselves that is not necessarily like a bright shiny part it's kind of like the, the evil spirits yeah. might be sneaking the up wolf, and like, we, oh, the he, wolf we don't want to feed. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we see that throughout our own journeys in our lives where when we have an emotional need that's, you know, stirring somewhere, if we, you know, give it the lubrication, something like alcohol, the next thing you know, we're leaning into some decision that was obviously a lesson we needed to learn. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's all for us in the sense that we, yeah, okay, we end up in a shameful, shame-filled place or we end up in a guilt-ridden place or just whatever. So whatever discomfort we end up in, I still think that's for us because that then tells us, oh, okay, why did I do that? You know what I mean? It's it's interesting. Even going back to the very simplistic thing of, and I, I guess it's not even simplistic, but like the food stuff is it's very oh, yeah. clearly connected to an emotional need for me. It's hugely connected to stress. When I feel so, stress, I make these choices. And I'm still going like, how can I, why can't I interrupt this? Because I do for a time, but then I almost always go back to, to allowing the stress f- experience make me decide into a bad health, uh, an unhealthy uh, food choice. So a lot of the decisions that we make aren't necessarily our own. And interestingly, our emotions or the emotions that we experience aren't necessarily our own either. So our bodies are filled with hundreds of thousands of microorganisms. Yeah, right? that's true. And God, good point. So when so like sugar is a great example, right? Sugar is you could have um, a large amount of um what are they called? Caloria? Chlor- um, I'm not recalling exactly, but there's a little bug that lives in our gut, which mm-hmm. really likes sugar. It likes oh. um, you know carbs. Oh. So when that bug gets hungry and it's like, hey, we're starting to deplete. Mm. We're not getting enough of what keeps us happy. Then we, as a host to that organism, end up finding ourselves feeling an emotional need that needs to be fulfilled mm. and it's actually serving a ho- another organism so we have to remember our symbiotic relationship yeah. to everything that's within us plus everything outside of us the other people around us and the world around us the country the political state like yep. the environment you know our decision making from one day of the week to the next could be completely different if you're say in a city center versus out in a you know mountain prairie somewhere where a mountain meadow where it's just serene and those are going to um the influ- the amount of influence that we're actually susceptible to is something yeah. I really want to like pay some yeah. yeah, some respect to because Absolutely. I mean, look at, yeah, there's so many versions. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know we don't have a whole lot of time to dive into that, but that's so important. It's funny that you bring it up, but it's like a perfect example of that is what's going on in the political landscape and and the notion that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned and that women's reproductive rights are going to be stripped away. That is like a huge, huge thing. And I'm very influenced by that, feel very disturbed by that possibility. And so it's a, a good example is sort of feeling an immediate which could be perceived as a reckless choice, but really it feels like an intuitive choice. My friends and I, the the ones I wrote the graphic memoir with, we have that resiliency workshop that offers resilience tools for people relative to simple story and simple illustration, meditative writing, meditative drawing. We're going to offer, we're going to offer one of those workshops to specifically around this prompt about how people maybe can tell their stories and illustrate and feel safe in a shared facilitated, uh, a facilitated share out space. But that's a, 
I made that choice this, mor- this morning to be like, let's offer one of our workshops because this is a, an acute time in a crisis when there's a lot of people that could use support. So anyway, that's an example but of how the environment and what's going on around us has influenced a decision that I made today, even this morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's happening on the daily. It's yeah. happening you know, most moments of our lives, whether we realize it or not. Absolutely. And that's the yeah. question Sam Harris poses about, do we have free will or are yeah. we just a bunch of ideas that we have been fed from the moment we, you know, existed? Yeah. Which, that and within that, there's an interesting observation and we don't have time to go down this rabbit hole, but I just want to mention it. Yeah. Imagine the tribes person who is born into, the, you know, a simple life, you know, more in touch with nature and just being, you know, in, in the natural environment all the time. If you don't have as much external pressures programming you as to how to think or feel, then your root like the way and the way you make decisions will be different it will be based more on that gut more of that knowing more of that connective rather than like the mind thinking higher you know not like i know i'm gonna i I know what i know yeah it's just no it's like no my you just know at a deeper level yeah Anyways, I think this is a great point to wrap because we could easily wander and meander. Easy to wander and meander. And I think I love it that these conversations always open up. And everyone who's listening, like we always say this, but we welcome your feedback. And if you really do want to meet us in deeper dialogue or you want some support, join us in the Trust the Journey family. Just go to Patreon, our website, trustthejourney.today. Donate on Patreon, two bucks a month, you know, and, and you're in there and we would welcome you there. Um, and thank you to Kim, our, our editor. She's amazing. Hit her up, KimberlyJoyVoice at gmail.com. And uh, God, we just love you so much for being here and supporting us. But Jay, any final thoughts? Yeah, I just uh, have to extend a deep gratitude to everybody who is financially supporting the show. It is what is making this show possible right now. You are the ones responsible for bringing this to air just as much as Melanie and I are. So thank you very much for your continued support and donations. And I encourage anybody listening who's on the fence, come join the team. Be part of the Trust the Journey family. Yeah. Love you guys. Love you. Bye-bye.